everyone. Welcome to Just Jana, a podcast where each month I'll speak to a variety of industry leaders to bring you education, trends, and relevant topics in franchising. I'm your host, Jana Bailey, CEO of FranNet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Jana. We've got another exciting guest for you to hear from today. Can't wait to get started. Dennis Schooley, and he's going to tell us all about his business, Schooley Mitchell, and what they do and how he got involved in this to begin with. So, Dennis, welcome, and thank you for being with us this morning. Well, thanks for having me, Jan. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. So. Just go ahead and shoot whatever questions you've got. Tell the audience what Schooling Mitchell does. Well, we are cost reduction consultants. So what that means is we take a look at what a company is spending for various expenses, not the most important things to those companies. It's not the cost of steel or their payroll or their parts. It's those things below the gross margin line where Mm -hmm. generally they're not able to pay attention to those things because they don't have expertise and they're not significant on their own but it really becomes death by a thousand cuts when you don't manage those small expenses properly. So really the way that we got into this to go back to your other question was running our normal business, which expanded into other areas. As I said, a minute ago, our Mm -hmm. own costs started going up. So we actually went asked one of our programmers to write us something that helped us understand in that case, it was telecom costs, why they were increasing so much. We knew, but we didn't know if that makes sense. So when they wrote that software for us, we realized, we were paying 30% more than we should have. And we thought, well, aren't we stupid? We're supposed to be smart people. But then we went, wait a minute here. I'll bet if we're stupid, our 700 accounting clients are kind of stupid too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't say that in a bad way, but of course they were. They didn't know how to control. In that case, it was telecom. But we found there was a real model to help a lot of businesses. And we knew it was something that we could take well beyond our, our local borders. And that's why we decided to get into franchising. And with our knowledge of franchising that we'd gained from our client, that's when the model sort of came together. And since that time, we've expanded into, we now have 15 or 16 expense categories where we help wonderful and reduce those expenses. Now, I suppose the one thing I should add to that is we don't charge fees to do what we're doing. It's a contingency model where we only share in the results that we create. So if we don't find savings for a client, there's just no fee at all. And the client just gets a confirmation that they've done things the way they should do that. That's pretty rare, by the way. But otherwise, our franchisee will share 50-50 in the savings that they find with that client. Wonderful. So you actually started franchising when? Well, 1998 is when we started offering it to our own clients. But 2004 is really when we started to franchise in the United States. Um, We started a little bit prior to that in Canada, but roughly in that time frame. Okay. So around 2004. Well, our uh, trajectory is about the same. I started with FranNet in 2006. So I I had been with a franchise before that. Um, So our timelines are very similar. So as you looked at the model, the schooling Mitchell model, and you decided to franchise, how did you start out? You may have just said kind of, but how did you get that groundwork laid? What what was the catalyst to get you going? 
Well, we realized that a lot of clients needed our help and we were helping a lot of our own clients, but we also knew that there were a lot of clients elsewhere that could use help in both of our countries. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we decided to put together a franchise offering and a model and do it properly through the proper legal um, circumstances that are required, as you know. Um, and really, we just started to roll it out, first of all, in Canada. Um, we had seven or eight franchises here before we entered the U.S. in around 2004. And really, we just knew that it's the perfect model for us. You know, franchising is a distribution model at, at its exactly. core, right? And and yet, think most people would think of it as hamburger meat and muffler parts and things like that. But really, what we're distributing is knowledge and databases and training. And we can do that widespread in, in terms of the technology that's available. And so it's actually been a perfect model for us to distribute the things that we distribute. And uh, so we're very happy that we picked this model to expand. How many franchisees do you have now, Dennis? We have about 250, 260 right now. That's about wonderful. 40 or so in Canada. The rest are in the U.S. So that's our that's our footprint right now. Well, you know, you've you've crossed that 100 mark, which is very few franchises out of all of those that start ever cross that 100 mark. So congratulations. Yeah. You know, to me, there's a there's a couple of steps. You know, when you get to that 12 level, are you really going to grow? And you're right. Then when you get to the 100 level, that changes everything. It does. And I think there's probably another change to come when you get around three or 400 where you've become a big business at that point. We're kind of almost there at this point. I would say, yeah, at in that 250, 260, that's probably another milestone that, you know, again, measuring how many franchisors out of all of those started ever get to those levels is, is quite amazing. So thank you. Yeah. And the lesson in that is building the support system to support all that. We have 130 mm-hmm. people working in our head office here now. So, you know, who would have thought when we first started that we would build a business to that extent where 130 families are making a living because of the ideas that we had and 260 people are out there building a business for that same reason. It's, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. It really is. It really is. So you want to explain to the audience, you've, you've told us a little bit about how cost recovery works and how does it, how it benefits the business. You've touched on that because you're really going in and looking at areas that most businesses don't take the time or don't feel the expertise to look at. Would that be correct? That is correct. And a lot of these things are very complicated. And, you know, they may not be the most significant expense, like I said earlier, on the income statement, but they're very complex. And and as a result, most people are confused. And, And the companies that sell this stuff, they have invoices that we call it confusology. It's actually a science. You know, so they are trying to confuse their customers so that they really can't make the changes that they need to. But most of the inputs that go into the pricing model for all these expenses that we look at are very complex. Some are technology driven, some aren't, but it's not easy for someone to stay up with that. And even if they make one attempt to change it on themselves, themselves, I'm sorry, they're really just calling a vendor, asking for a reduction with their own invoice. Well, we've done 28,000 deals. We know where the vendors can go every single time. We understand all the methods they use to invoice and all the technologies involved. And so that's what we bring to the table for our clients. They can never get what we can get for them. That makes a lot of sense. So what are some of these common areas that businesses tend to overspend? Well, I mean, we like I said earlier, we do look at 15 or 16 different expenses, you know, telecom, Mm -hmm. waste, courier, less than load trucking, 
um, you know, all kinds of different things. And what people tend to overlook is all the complexities that go into that. So they'll get a mm. quote, they'll, you know, take the best offer. And generally, they'll just run with that for years. Well, the reality is their own business changes and therefore the profile and the charges should change according to that. They don't bother with that. Or the marketplace changes or the vendors change or the specials of the month. That's what we stay up on top of mm -hmm. for our clients. So they don't have to worry about that. They can keep operating their business, the things that they do really well. And we can take care of all those things on their behalf. And, you know, even when someone knows they can maybe get a reduction, it's not important enough for them mm. to go through the process, be on hold for two and a half hours, and then negotiate with somebody that's going to give them 5%. Right. We, we do it completely differently. We take all that off their plate and we make sure they're not paying more than they should in all these cost categories. So it's, it's hard to nail down exactly what it is unless we were to talk about an individual expense, but I think that would bore your readers or your listeners, sorry. <laughs> As businesses are recovering, continuing to recover from the impact of COVID-19, what role does expense reduction play in the overall recovery strategy? Well, you know, first of all, our business is really um, recession-proof, pandemic-proof, inflation-proof. That is the one real value that we bring to the table for these business clients because, you know, there's a lot of important things going on through that pandemic that people had to manage, keep yeah. staff, and when do I open, when do I don't open, you know, PPE and government regulations. During that time, very few people kept track of these expenses. Well, and then people would say, well, you know what, I don't have a lot of expenses because I'm shut down. But you see, that was the perfect time to go and get the unit mm -hmm. price decrease because then when they ramp up again, they're paying less per unit, whether that's a minute of long distance, a local line, a shipment through FedEx, whatever it might be. So we really positioned our clients really well during that period to be prepared for ramping up again. Well, that help still continues through the inflationary period, through the recessionary period, because what do companies have to do during those times? They've got to cut costs. Right. And that's what we do. And we don't charge money to do it. So we're really a perfect business for those economic fluctuations that happen in our world every day. So that leads to another question I've always wondered. So when you go into a company and you find the, the savings and, you know, does that end the relationship or do you tend to have ongoing relationships with these clients? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Absolutely not. And I mean, that's maybe the one challenge of somebody that does this kind of consulting, although there's not many that do it, that it's a one and done, not us. We look at their bills every month for three years minimum. Wow. And our clients generally, when when our franchisees build a proper relationship with their clients, they have a 65, 70% renewal rate at the end of that three years. So we've actually got franchisees that have clients eight, 10, 12 years and going on because Wonderful. the client tends to depend on us. They don't want to be back in the telecom business and the garbage business and the courier business. They sell what they sell and they're good at that. So we're good at this stuff and they tend to just want to hand it over to us once they see what we can do for them. And that's perpetual. That's fantastic. Um, how does technology play a role in the reduction strategies? You know, there's two ways to look at that. I mean, one is have we developed technology to make our analysis really good and efficient? Absolutely. hundred percent. That's our, our basis of our, our franchise from the beginning. We've got software, we've got databases, we've got tools that help us do all this efficiently. The other side of that, though, is the question could be, is there technology that's going to find people the best prices and therefore eliminate the business? That's never going to happen. And like I said, 
The reason I say that is because people can always get a reduction and negotiate with their vendors if they want to, but it's not their most important thing. So just the fact that a piece of software might tell them that they can do that Mm -hmm. and they put information into that software and have to trust the software is correct and then call the vendor to make the change, it's not going to happen. You know, that's, that's the same thing that's been a discussion for more than 20 years with us and it's never happened once. Now, technology is an aid in our analysis and the delivery of the value to our our clients, but it's never going to be a threat in our world. That's fantastic. You know, that's the same thing we see in what we do in working with clients. You know, you can go online and find all kinds of stuff, but at the end of the day, that personal relationship and trust that you have with your consultant makes a lot of difference. 100%. It's a combination of technology Mm -hmm. and a personal subjective input, right? And that's what's going to bring the best solution. Just what you do is what we do, just at a different level. Yeah. Well, last kind of round of questions. As the founder, what lessons have you learned through this journey with Schooling Mitchell that you would share with other aspiring entrepreneurs slash franchisors? You know, I guess the the best piece of advice I could give is is about persistence. I mean, there's always going to be ups and downs. Um, whether you're running an individual business like a franchise or a consulting business, or whether you're running as a franchisor, um, something that you're looking to grow. There's ups, there's downs, there's challenges, there's changes in legislative environments, there's changes in how you're going to find the things you need to find to grow your business. That's never going to be static. And if, if, if someone expects that's going to be static and it's just going to be happy growth, they're fooling themselves. <laughs> it takes yep. a lot of gumption and and nerve and stamina to build a business. And and really, that's my best piece of advice is don't be discouraged by the the no's and the downturns. As long as you've got a good model and a good plan, it can come true no matter what. And I actually say that to our individual franchisees too. We know there's going to be lots of no's to get to yeses. And the whole thing is about persistence. Realize it's a linear ratio. And I know you weren't actually asking me that, Jana, but it's a similar concept. Stick-to-itiveness is really the most important thing I've ever I've ever learned. And one other thing, and I talk about this in our training, is the word decide is my most important word in the dictionary. And once you make a decision, go for it, stick with it. Don't let anything get off your path. And that's really what I would I would advise. I love that. And I agree so much. I do think a big difference in the entrepreneurs that make it and those that don't you've got to be willing to dust yourself off after you've fallen a couple of times and get back up and relook and say, okay, what did I learn here? hundred percent, hundred percent. So you've probably dusted off a time or two through the 20 plus years, 25 years. I can't tell you how many times I've dusted <laughs> off. And you know, I, <clears throat> I always compare it to uh, a pitcher in baseball. I, I was a baseball manager and I can always oh, wow. recall going out to that mound and making that decision. Is that pitcher going to stay or go? Well, it depends. Is he worried about the home run that just went over the fence or is he worried about the next pitch? The yeah. one that's worried about the next pitch, that's the guy I want. That's the, the person that I want. And that's the way I have to take an approach to business. And I think everyone should. What happened, happened. Learn from it and worry about what's next. What's tomorrow? Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Dennis, I sincerely appreciate the time you've spent with me today and telling me a little bit more about yourself, your background, and also about your company. Um, We appreciate the relationship we have with Schooling Mitchell and with Dennis Schooley as well. So any last thoughts to share with the audience before we bid them goodbye? No. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Jana, for having me on. I mean, it's always great to be able to talk to you and to to 
get the word out a little bit about you and our business as well and how we have done things together. I mean, I guess my last thing thought would be let's do a lot more together. That's really what we want. We're on the same page, Dennis. We're going to be working towards that. So, well, you all have a great rest of your day, a great week. And to everyone listening, I hope you've enjoyed today's topic and my guest. And I feel certain you've picked up a nugget or two that you will be able to use. So thanks everyone for joining Just Janet.